0: Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. We are living <clears throat> in interesting times, and I suppose everyone who's ever lived has lived to, to say those words. And uh, and so nothing takes us by surprise, even a hurricane in Texas, of course, we're praying for our dear ones and friends, and uh, they're in that state as they uh, are experiencing something that we know very well. I was telling my brother the other day when I, Andrew and I first uh, got married and moved into our, our really our first real home uh, to build our family, and the first five years we had four hurricanes right in a row. It was just amazing. It was like, what's going on here? But uh, but when you think of storms and you think of the kind of things that brings tumult to our life, um, there's a purpose, there's a reason for all of it. And in that reason, in that providential plan as we live in this world, God also gives us a reason to hope. And, and so the three things I want to share with you today are not necessarily points that are in, the, in that sense of very practical, this is how you do and this is what you can expect. But there, as I often do as a pastor, is lead us to what I believe are the, the theological foundations that open the door for us to experiencing all that. In other words, if we get our spirit right, if we're thinking right, if we're we're grabbing a hold of biblical truth and we we bring it in and we, we mix it with faith, then it opens the doors to so many wonderful things, even enduring Difficulties like hurricanes or cultural uh, meltdown or whatever it is that we're experiencing, God is right there to come and give us hope so I want to share, uh, share these three things with you uh, quickly today so number one our reason when we think about having a reason to hope it's number one is folks we're delivered from the power of sin we're delivered from it our broken self and that's something that I find very curious when when I talk to people, and I'm not sure that people fully understand this because it is a Bible a Bible doctrine: is that we are born into sin, that we are born incapable. Catch this: we are born incapable of choosing that which is right, because that is what being full of sin is. We're not just having. We're not just uh, you know like a car that has a broken wheel. No, we're we're, we have no wheels. (laughs) We're born without it. And, and, and the Bible it, it talks about this over and over again, that even our, our good works, even that which we have decided in our heart to do what we think is good, even to that is a stench to God. Now that might be overwhelming to you. It's because we don't understand what original sin is, and we don't understand what it is to be completely broken, but we are. We are in every capacity in need of a savior. And we experience the effect of that sinful nature, of course, in ways that are generational. We see generational curses that are passed on. It doesn't take much for us to be able to examine our life and the lives of others. And there have been studies done on that when you you find a family that had determined to say, uh, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, that you've seen blessing after blessing, generation of blessing. And then you see those that have... uh, as a family, as a generation, have bitten into uh, demonic things like being thieves and robbers, and and have given into uh, you know all manners of type evil. That generation after generation after generation of early death, of imprisonment, of struggle, of a lack of blessing. It's it's very easy to see, but you know people don't want to talk about it, of course, because you know, we want to push through that. We want to think that man at some point is capable of being able to lift himself up up with his own bootstraps. But but the Bible is very clear that we'll never ever ever be able to do that. And so we see so much of that in our culture, and I wish we could sit down and, and use the scripture more to understand what's going on in our times, to understand how I believe even Christians are drawn away to think those things which are in the end, fruitless. In the end, only man's attempt to try to build another tower of Babel to achieve something that is perfect in this life without the fear of God, without the ways of God. We just keep doing it generation after generation in creative ways. We relabel it, we retable it, we, we do everything we can to try to create something that is outside the law and the love and the purpose of God. It's something well worth, as Christians, us taking time to understand. But of course, we see our broken self. Again, in the generations, we see it in, in, in nations as they no longer make God their Lord. And we do see it in nations that have chosen to make uh, God their, their, their focus. And then we can see it in our lives individually, the consequences of, of our own wrong choices. So we go through some scripture here I want to clearly understand what is the power of sin. In Psalm 51, three through five, here's David who's talking about a very fresh experience of sin in his own life, which for the, for the most part began a generational struggle of devastation in his own life as he began to see it pour out into his son's lives, his daughter's lives, and it comes right down to this poor choice that he made. And, and so this prayer this, the Psalm 51 comes out of this whole moral devastation. So check this out, starting in verse 3. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Even David is in touch with what we call original sin, total depravity. And he describes the effect of that sin. He describes the, the, the uh, agonizing feeling of being separated from his Savior, the one he knew and loved as a young man, as a little boy out there writing the worship songs that we even enjoy to this day. David, when he made his choice to commit adultery with Bathsheba, it unleashed a devastation of sin of you know conscience, of, of battle, of struggle. And he did his best to try to continue to be the king and to try to cover over his mistake by, you know, even murdering a young man who was who was the husband of Bathsheba. It was nothing was working. And so he was living in this agony of the struggle of of his sin. And and yet what we find in Psalm 51 is David embracing it that was the first step toward true change was not continuing in this line of trying to ignore it or try to say there is no such thing as sin or creating existentialism or creating a culture that continues to embrace sexual sin embracing all the things that is just causing our heads to spin and yet even as I said even Christians we can get drawn into this and begin to wonder and doubt well isn't, doesn't God really love me? Doesn't God really want me to be happy and therefore do things? I mean, I mean, David must have made that choice as he looked over at Bathsheba and said, well, doesn't God want me to have everything good? I mean, I'm the king after all. I've got the power, and he wants me to be happy. And she, I think, is the one who's going to make me happy. And yet, what, look what it produced. So he's embracing that. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We could stop right there. And I think, again, we get deceived into thinking that there is no consequence. There is. And at very least, at very least, is what David describes here. It's always before me. It doesn't go away. It's like seeing a bad scene in a movie, man. You just can't get it out of your head. And that's what it does. It's death. It's nothing else but death. It produces death in our spirit, our soul. And Paul even says sometimes in our bodies. It darkens our soul. It sets loose a plague of guilt and repressed sadness. In other words, we try to get past the sadness. We try to put a face upon it. We try to buy stuff to make us happy again. We try to fill that void with so many other things to try to ignore what's really going on inside us, but it just doesn't go away. It's like a cancer. It's it's fully death. If if cancer could be given another name, it would be sin. Because it's not happy with just staying in one place. Cancer, that's the evil of cancer, is the is the 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 complete, it's good cells gone bad. And, and, it, and it metastasized, it's such a wicked thing. It, 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 it's purely demonic. It's clearly one of the most physical manifestations of demonic activities one could observe. But sin is not that far behind when we think of what it does in our spirit, what it does in our mind. So that's, he says, it's death. It affects us, and it can never be escaped although we try and it can create all kinds of of difficulties in our soul you know when i was in counseling and uh, training to be a counselor uh, that was one thing i was told is those outward behavioral things those abnormalities those awkward things that we do sometimes are an indication of a hidden conflict in other words we're battling on the inside. A lot of energy is being expelled uh, and produced on the inside to try to cover over the things that we are, we are battling with, and it takes a lot of emotional energy. It does. We know this. I mean, we can all say, yeah, I've been there, done that. We know. You feel like a, a seventh grader or maybe a freshman going to high school and trying to cover over your awkwardness and trying to fit in and, and trying to do everything you can to, to just fit into the status quo, right? It's just like, I got to go as low level as I possibly can to not, you know, draw attention to myself. We all remember those days. Very difficult for me being a full head and shoulders bigger than a lot of my, my friends. And so we can become that target. But that's kind of what's going on inside our spirit is we're, we're, when, we, when we, we've not resolved the decisions that we've made. We've, we've not come to this place that David has come to. But forgiveness by Christ is the only solution to it. You can't throw money at it. You can't throw success at it. You can't go and deal with what is going on in our culture by creating more sin. Can I say that? Can I say that revenge? isn't going to produce it. I mean, look at every other culture that has, even to this day in places like the former Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and these ages where, I mean, these nations where ethnic struggle has gone on for thousands of years. And without the forgiveness of Christ, all it is is just the game changing and who's going to kill the other one when they get the power and the first chance to do it. Without the forgiveness of God, this whole madness called the hatred of man will continue. Someone has to stop and say, I forgive. It's time for me to move on. May I give you a very personal example? When I grew up in my home, my mom, you know, she often listens to these, these, these sermons. She calls me her pastor. You've heard our, our, my story um, but just having conversation of late, I, I was able to look at her and say, "Mom, I have nothing in my heart against you. I love you. I said, "You no longer really are my mom anymore. You're my sister. because when we get to heaven, those earthly kinds of of of, of you know of restrictions in a way are just gone, and all that she did without Christ in leaving the family and and, and experiencing sin the way she did as part of her story. But I now am able to just look at her. I mean, there's no no point in me punishing her. There's no point in me trying to point out what is the continuing, if she has any consequences. Why would I be a fruit inspector? Why would I want to do all that? The only one who suffers is me, is continuing that in my head. So, forgiveness is the only solution. And the scripture tells us that, here in Romans chapter 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. But it says, but the gift of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. He doesn't just focus on forgiveness, that the gift of God is the ability to forgive. No, he says it's eternal life, which affects here. It means we come into an eternal t- identity. No longer, I'm, I mean, you know, sin cannot stand. There's no point for it to let it control my life anymore. No, for me, nor for me to continue to uh, pass that on to others by being judgmental, by being hateful, by being um, jealous, or to bring vengeance, or to try to correct social injustices with more social injustice. We got to get over that mess, Christian. Don't be drawn in. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, the two verses before what I read earlier, David starts with this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's a wonderful prayer, isn't it? So powerful. You need to read Psalm 51 in its entirety. Absolutely a whole counseling session in one psalm. But that's what's required. When we think of our sin, it starts off with David's heart. Lord, you know, here I am. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. And I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear that joy and gladness. He goes on. Let the bones that you have crushed through that guilt that can't, won't go away, let, let me rejoice again. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me, Lord, a pure heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. I like that. Renew my energy. <laughs> renew, re- renew and focus. It was interesting. I saw this cool little illustration of how power companies, apparently, I don't know anything about this in just the little video that I saw, that, but but when electricity is not in sync, when it's not synchronous in, in, in its, how it's being generated on its frequency, that it becomes very, very inefficient. But when it is in harmony, when it is cycling in unity with you know the the energy coming in, cycling with the motor that it's coming into. When those are cycling at the same frequency, a high level of uh, ability of uh, what's the word I just said it a minute ago um, uh, of being efficient. That's the word. The high level of efficiency, and you can cut your power bill in half. Interesting. In the same way, the power of God when it's coming into our life when it's in frequency with our spirit. In other words, that we understand that we're not trying to hide anything. We're not trying to live out of sync with God when we're in sync with him. I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it, to see these kind of natural examples? We're in sync with him by admitting what our sin is. Our heart gets into sync with him, and then we have to use a lot less energy to live. We just walk in a joy. I mean, you ever woken up and felt like, man, I just need to go back to bed? I'm, I'm burned out before I even took one step. Because you started thinking about what? Your day. You started thinking about what was facing you. You started thinking about the unfinished issues. <laughs> the people you got to talk to. Man, I enjoyed my vacation, but I had a couple of those, as Andrea can tell you. Keep you up at late at night. You're not in sync. When we can get in sync, and we can pray like David prayed, Lord, have mercy upon me, according to your unfailing love. And it goes right in there with 1 John 1 and 9. You know, if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive my sin and to purify me from all unrighteousness. You can see that John understood Psalm 51 very well. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a what? A willing spirit. (laughs) Well, that's good, isn't it? David prayed, Lord, when I come into peace, help me flow with you. From here on out, let me be more receptive to your leading. Because I got in this stuff because I wasn't. I wasn't really listening. I wasn't really, I I, I had a different spirit. Now I need a willing spirit. Come and restore that to me. That's what true repentance produces, by the way as a counselor, i can see it within seconds. when a person tries to defend their actions, i just want to say, stop. we're done. we went met 15 minutes. that's all i needed to know you're not ready. to let me know That you're not in a place of real repentance. Because if you're in a place of repentance, then we can build. Then we can explore truth. Then we can begin to to, to open the door to the next thing I want to share with us today. So God is going to deliver us and can. That's our reason to hope is that God will deliver us from the power of sin. Amen? That, yeah, I've I've painted. Maybe you just kind of sit there. Man, I know what he's talking about. But sin no longer has domination over us. We don't have to walk in that you know, that, that lack of synchronicity. We don't have to walk in that sense of inefficiency of soul. We don't have to walk in any torment or guilt or shame. Not one second, my friends, because of what Jesus did for us. Because of the hope that we have. We have been delivered from the power of sin. If someone doesn't think, see, people mock the concept of sin today, don't they? They don't don't even want to have it anymore. They just say sin. That's such an old-fashioned thing. Well, God says, no. I made it the smallest little word it could possibly be so that you understand it is a root, that it is a foundation, followed by another small word, pride. So Paul puts it together in Romans 6.4. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Coming to Christ is us identifying, of course, with Jesus, his death, his burial, and being raised from the dead. That's why baptism is so important, by the way. It doesn't, when we put that tank over here, There's nothing that's really magical that's taking place. It's an identification. It's an identification of what we know that's going on inside us and changing us forever. And that is, I am dying with him. I'm taking my old nature. I'm taking that brokenness that I described. I'm taking all that I was born with, everything that is inescapable. I'm taking it to the grave with him. And when I die, and Paul says, when something's dead, and there's no more power over that. So we die, and our old nature dies with it. And when we come back up out of that water, we are raising again to new life. Our hearts are set free. So we're delivered from the power of sin, my friends. Even though we still struggle with it, even though we still have to battle it, we are fully aware of what's going on. We are fully aware of how to be free. And all it takes is a prayer. And that same same attitude of David, Lord, give me a willing spirit. So we need to pray that more, don't we? We don't need to say, Lord, please forgive me, I got caught. And Lord, I I plan to go back to what I was doing. But may another Sunday go by and you restore to me joy and peace. No, 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 we need to pray more than that. We need to say, Lord... I need to change. I need need to continue to walk, which brings us right to our next point. We've been delivered by the power of sin, but we've also been delivered into the grace of God. So we're not just left standing in an empty vessel, been forgiven, but no, 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 he takes us from there. He hands us. So when we rise up from the grave, we come up out of the tank. God is waiting there for us with his power, to help us! I love Titus two eleven and twelve. I don't know if you guys can put that verse up there, but I love it because it, it, it for me it describes very practically because I think that way. It says, "Can you guys put that up for me?" Titus two eleven and twelve. For the grace of God has appeared in other in, in, in there. It is. I'm just this is NIV. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It appeared. It's there. Keep going. It teaches us to say what? No. To ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what the grace of God immediately begins doing in your life. We've been delivered into it. What does it do? It teaches us. And not like the teacher back in the one-room schoolhouse with the the four-foot-long dowel rod that would hit you on top of your knuckles every time you did something wrong or embarrassed you and stuck you in the corner. No, 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 the Holy Spirit is there to lovingly come beside you and come against aga- beside your desk and whisper into your ear, you know what? You, ah, that's the wrong answer. Let's work on that. That is producing the wrong fruit in your life. Let's go back and dig. Let's see, well, how'd you get here? Let's look at the computations of your soul. What's going on? Where did you take a wrong route? He teaches us, to find it, but then to say no to the ungodliness and the worldly passions, the things that got us to that place of brokenness and hurt and suffering and struggle and guilt and the repressed shame that I talked about. Hey, go back to that verse, man. I ain't done with that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we need to have a little music going on in the background as we wait. There we go. Uh, so sub upright and godly lives in this present life. And so I like to say, he teaches to say no, but then to say yes to self-control, to say yes to live a godly life. Now, the verse doesn't say, now look, now that you've been saved, you've got to get to the business of changing yourself. We've been delivered into the grace of God, which gives us the power to begin to change. Amen? Amen. So we haven't just been delivered from sin, we have been delivered into God's power to, for us to change and to become like Him. The problem is, I think we're not as acquainted with the grace of God as we are with repentance or with confession. We get stuck there, and we just stuck in the cycle. "Lord, I sin, forgive me, Lord. I sin, forgive me, Lord." I sin, forgive me, Lord. No, 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 we got to break out of that cycle with Lord, now give me a willing spirit. And Holy Spirit, would you pour out your, a fresh dose of grace? Help me to say no. Help me to turn it off. Help me to walk in the right direction. Help me to say no to that bad, and un, that, that relationship that's not bringing me any life. To, to help me to say no to that activity that I know is devastating me. Help me, you know, it doesn't take too many cycles for us to realize the things that we are doing in our life that are not producing, you know, godly fruit. It doesn't take long. But the grace of God is ready to help us. And I love it, Philippians 2.13. So God's powerful activity in us, bringing us from glory to glory, in other words, changing to become more like, requires only submission. That's the only prerequisite here, is a willing spirit. Is a submission in other words to just say lord here i am i need you to change me so worship is very much that encounter not that a good word encounter to come to the lord and just say here i am broken pieces and all here i am warts and all i got a bad attitude i did a couple of things thought a couple of things this week that i'm not really proud of <laughs> I'm back here again. Holy Spirit, would you begin to transform? Give me a willing spirit. And then Philippians 2.13 says it. He causes us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yeah. I dig that verse. Don't you like that verse? He causes me to will, want to, and to end up doing of his good pleasure. That's a great verse, man. <laughs> Not that it takes off any responsibility but what it, does is it, 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 what it does is it makes the Savior that much more appealing to me, doesn't it? To know that, man, I've got to keep running to Jesus. If he's the one who knows me, sees me. I mean, it all comes together when we see him Psalm, Psalm 51, when we see the intimacy that David discovered, and then we have the, the, the complete revelation of the New Testament. You start to see that David was seeing things that nobody else really was experiencing. And now we're right there. We keep running to him. Lord, who will, as Paul said, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And his thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in him, which is why running to the Savior is the only response. Now, if you can do that on your own, if you can do that out in the country, if you can do that while you're swimming, if you can do that while you're flying, if you can do that when you're digging, I, I mean, more power to you. But for me, I have discovered I can't do that alone. Which is why we need the church, which is why we need one another, which is why we need to hear this message. And so we're delivered into the grace of God. What is that? The abundant well of life. Jesus said, the spring up, oh well. He said, you'll have that. I mean, sometimes you stare at that well and say, I sure love to see that well a little bit more. But it's there. We just need to spend more and more time with him. He'll give us his mind, the mind of Christ. I love that. Because folks, honestly, in sin, we're insane. Are we not? I mean, we're just out of control you ever found yourself going down a path where panic, anxiety, fear, anger? Is that how when that anger starts stirring up inside you, you start thinking thoughts, and you have to have other people around you saying, why are you saying this? I mean, I've had to have my kids, my wife, from time to time to say, David, why are you thinking this? Why are you saying this? And it's just kind of that bucket of water, cold water thrown upon us to say, man, how'd you get here? That's how quickly the human soul can get caught up in these things. It doesn't often take very much either, does it? But God says, I'll give you the mind, Christ. I'll give you his mind. Oh, man, what is Jesus thinking about? The supremacy of the kingdom of God? The power of love? The power of joy? The power of the fruit of the Spirit? Strength? Expectation of blessing. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love this verse. Let's read this one together. Check this out. This is Paul, his response to all of this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Wow. You could spend a lot of time on this verse. Because what it, you see, it's all here. Because he, Paul is saying, look, it's the grace of God that I'm anything. Yet, I worked pretty hard to stay in it. I worked really hard by getting up in the morning and praying. I worked really hard by obeying what Jesus said, go to the Philippians or go to Macedonia. I did it. I worked really hard staying in synchronous activity with what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do. Because when you've come to Christ, when you've been raised from the dead, when you are brought to this place, God God is so ready to start communicating with you to how to live this life that begins to attract a lot more favor and blessing. That I promise you, he's ready to speak to you if you ask him, Lord, what do I do here? Man, have I been experiencing Andrew, haven't we experienced a lot of that lately? because you know, we can start beginning to panic and wonder how is this going to work out. Just had, I mean, just, when was my phone call? Was it Wednesday? Just Wednesday. Something had been bothering me all summer, if not years. Those who gathered together to pray for this conversation that I had and how it just all melted, the anxiety. It was just like, and, and, and it was just like solved. Of course, it was a two-hour conversation, but it got fixed. And I love it when God does that. And I remember thinking to myself, I sure wasted a lot of time worrying of how God was going to make this happen. Oh, I don't know. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me. The effective work of the cross. That's my hope. That's your hope. That's why I don't like people talking about whether they're saved today or not saved today, or whether they need to get rebaptized, baptized or, or if every Sunday is just kind of like a, a, a holy Protestant mass where we just keep coming back and re-crucifying Jesus all over again and having to just continue, I lost my grace, I lost my connection with God, and having to come back every Sunday to get it back, and then we just get into this silly little cycle. It never changed. He never stopped loving you. What Jesus did on the cross, and he said, it is finished, he didn't say, it's finished until the next time, or it's finished, you know, for today. He didn't say that. That's foolishness. I love the fact, and when I think of what Jesus did on the cross, it is Effectual. And that's a great doctrinal word. It is effectual. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross has more than enough grace, more than enough power, more than enough anything that is required to secure me to him, to tether me to him forever. Which brings up my final point. Folks, we're delivered into the arms of our Savior. Upon transmission, or transition from this life to the next, I'm going to be delivered into his arms. And I have that full hope today. Jesus said to her. There in John. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. That was Jesus' response to Mary and Martha as they were panicking. You've let our brother stay in the grave for three days. And Jesus says. I got this. Death is just a name. Death is a result, of course, of sin on the earth, but that's why Jesus came. Not only did he come to resurrect our spirit, but he came to resurrect our bodies. Folks, that is a major Christian hope of knowing that Jesus is going to come again and we're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to live with him with our new body forever. Jesus, so here with Lazarus, who's been dead three days, Jesus says, Look, you guys don't understand what's really going on here. And so all he does is speak to the grave and say, Lazarus, come out of there. He's already been rotting three days. They didn't, you know, so, but then he comes out in the grave clothes. All those those organs are regenerated. Those eyes that have already begun to get concave and, and, and dissipate into something nasty begin to be completely resurrected. He walks out, he's alive, and everybody begins to weep. We've been delivered into a Savior who's not only gonna conquer the effect of death in our soul, but in our body as well. Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Can I get an amen out of that one? Because this old body I got is wearing out. And I'm ready for the upgrade. Are you ready for the upgrade? Hey. I remember what it was like to run at 19. You young folks out there, enjoy. It don't last long. Mm. I still tell the stories. That's all I got left there, Mike. All, Aaron, all I got is a story when I put a big whipping on that big boy, but I can't do it anymore. But I'm looking forward to the day of that glorious body. Amen. It's easy to fall into a fog and live our lives without this reality. That is sad for two reasons. Number one, we miss the awakened state that we can live in when walking in the power of his life now. When we get the ache and pain. When we worry about the little bump and not know what it is when we begin to struggle with the aging of our body andrews dad you know we were on the phone with him he said he goes he said man getting old is not for wimps you know as he's 83 years old and he's just saying man yeah this is this is tough but folks when we forget what is coming our way when we are reminded of that and i love the, i mean you know god gave me that word but i love the idea of being awakened to that reality because then, it, then it, it's kind of like knowing, when you have the hope of something good that's coming, you can endure, can't you? It's like, it's, it's right, like getting ready for that vacation or getting ready for that weekend off or, or getting ready for, for that windfall of something that you know is coming. I can, because I know it's coming, it changes everything about what I'm doing. I, I got more to say about that, but we're out of time. But number two, we miss the hope that knowing our eternity is secure and great joy. So let me back up. It's sad for two reasons when we forget, when we allow ourselves to fall into this fog of of, of this world, when we miss the awakened state, and two, we miss the hope that knowing our eternity is secure and great joy is awaiting us. And we can add to that that there are a lot of folks, loved ones, amazing people, historical people, that we get to see and hang out with. Isn't that cool? You and I, we get to meet Moses. I get to meet Peter, John, and of course Jesus. Be able to walk right up to him. Not going to be like some, you know, famous head of state. He's not going to be like some famous athlete that you can't get to. Or a musician that, unless you've got the VIP, and even then they just sign your card and, and move on without even giving you a look or a thought. Jesus will look us into the eye and say, welcome. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You will call us by name. He'll call us by name. Isn't that cool? Forever, too. Forever, too. Well, you can take that last part of the sermon and in the notes and, and just take that home. This, I was going to follow this up kind of as a response, but I'll just say this. Look. Folks, with all this in mind, because of our reason to hope, we should live our lives with a lot more margin. Giving ourselves a lot more space. In reading in the news, what I read today is that so many of us, whether it be with our money, we're living hand to mouth, or with our, our energy of soul, just living from day to day, or living with as Christians to just, just kind of feel like, man, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. Has God lost control of all of this? We need to live with more margin and you know what that means that means always having a cache of hope that's always there whether that be with savings that god has given and we were able to put that away but savings of the soul <laughs> that doesn't matter man i you, you if, if if something comes my way whether it be a, a hurricane or, or whether it be a a, a struggle a battle a, a fear something going on in our family or in our finances or whatever it might be. I've got this cash, this margin of joy and peace and hope that's always there. Which is why tithing is important, which is why praying is important, which is why coming to church is important, because a cash of relationship, a cash of the favor of God, always there, because we're sowing into it. Let's stop living hand to mouth in our life, amen? In response to this wonderful reason to hope, we've been delivered from the power of sin. We've been delivered into the grace of God, and we will be delivered into his arms one day, amen? Man, I tell you what, sometimes it comes down to just that. I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. I don't know what else is gonna happen in this world. I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, amen? Amen, let's stand up this morning. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If I could have our prayer teams, please come. Lord, help us to build some margin in our our life. Lord, and, and I think that is a very biblical thing. Might even develop this further. But Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, to store up joy. To store up, God, faith. Lord, to store up, Lord, that hope every day. To have some for today and be able to put a little aside. In other words, when we think about tomorrow, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but you know what? God's got it. And that's storing, that's living in margin. Space. Room. Lord, I pray that for every single person in this room today, Lord, God, if there's anyone, Lord, that is, being, that is suffering, Lord, from, Lord, sin, making a poor decision, in their heart knowing, whether it be something, that if you're here today and you've been living in a way that you know is, 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 is not good, hasn't been fruitful for you, and know that God is so ready to forgive you and for you to embrace his promise that he will forgive, he'll wash you clean, He'll remove the guilt and the shame, restore you to a willing spirit. You'll be in synchronization with the heart of God. And you'll find all that strife go away. You'll find yourself not struggling against the the heart of God and the, the will of God for your life. Jesus said that. He said, Let's make the exchange. Man, Your life is full of burden. Give me that. Let me give you mine. Synchronous flow with the Father. Lord, forgive our sins. Heal our hearts. Help us now. Give us a willing spirit right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come and fill those areas of despondency. Lord, remove all Vestiges, Lord, of of shame. And may your strength be in us. The peace of God that passes all understanding. I don't get it, but it's real. It's true. Lord, help us. And for all of us here today, God, may we walk out, Lord, with joy, with expectation. Lord, with hope for the future, God, it doesn't matter what happens today, tomorrow, a year from now. I am saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and awaiting the greatest gift of all. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen.